This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today we have a live Game Changers Experience show. So for you guys that are privileged to listen to us live, make sure that you use the hashtag live, use the hashtag replay, of course. We're streaming through YouTube and on LinkedIn, of course. And make sure that you follow myself and my guest here today, who I'll introduce very, very shortly um, on the following channels. And um, for you guys also, if you have any comments, questions, as I always say to you guys, make sure that you put all your comments and questions in the comment in the comment section below. For you guys that are listening in on the podcast, congratulations. We'll put all of our guest uh, description notes and questions and everything else, any other uh, bits and pieces in the blurb below. Anyway, today's guest, I'm super excited. We have an absolute juggernaut of a guest on today. Now, I first came across our guest. His name is Rob Moore. If you don't know who Rob is, Rob is, is unconventional, but he's also one of these guys which very, very humble. I actually first came across Rob uh, during the COVID pandemic when we were hanging out on Clubhouse. And uh, you could probably be in Rob's room for pretty much hours and hours and hours and end if you were listening to him during the pandemic. We hanged out in a lot of rooms and we have a lot of uh, cross connections and stuff. But Rob's background is actually in property. And uh, his background is, is that when he, at the age of 25, when he was 50,000 pounds in consumer debt, went from that to millionaire in less than five years. Now, Rob's uh, experience uh, is known for this no filters, no BS, very authentic personality. He's a mentor to a lot of celebrities and influencers. He's uh, he's actually written nine different books. Five of them became bestsellers. And he's got two massive podcasts, uh, one called Disruptors that some of you may or may not have listened to, and also Money as well. So huge in the podcast world. Uh, has made almost a 1,000 episodes just in Disruptors alone. I'll tell you what, some of the guests that he brings on are absolutely amazing. Uh, and uh, you you need to go over and listen to what Rob is all about as well. So what are we going to be talking about today, ladies and gents? Well, we're going to be talking about a number of different things. We're going to be talking a little bit about property and money, of course, and that kind of stuff. We're going to talk about misconceptions about property. We're going to be talking about money, the relationship with money. I want to get Rob's perspective on you know him being financially free and what he's learned over the years, of course. And um, we can also talk about things that have gone wrong for Rob, because you know what? It's not all been fame and glory for anyone that's been in the game of entrepreneurship. We never talk a lot about the, the downside of stuff, right? So I want to talk a little bit about that with Rob. I have a real conf- conversation and things like that. So listen, today I'm excited. I'm pumped. Uh, and I hope you are too. If you have any questions, like I said, feel free to do uh, obviously put them in the questions comment section below and make sure that you follow me and Rob over on LinkedIn and YouTube 
and click on that bell notification before you do anything else. So, without further ado, let's bring the main man on himself, Mr. Rob Moore. Welcome to the show. Hey, Adam. Hey, everyone. How are you? I am 8.7 out of 10. Well, that, that's pretty darn good, my friend. It's pretty darn good. You're looking sharp. You're looking, you're looking, uh, you're looking sharp as ever, my friend. Yeah, well, you know, you only live once. You got to try. I absolutely agree. It, it, it's, it, it's interesting. All of those days during the clubhouse days from like, you know, three years ago, we used to hang out. We didn't see each other and that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, and then, you know, it was James Sinclair and James Burr and all of those you know, Dan Priestley we used to hang out with and that kind of stuff. And it just feels like, I don't know, do you do much of Clubhouse these days, Rob? No, no, I think Clubhouse um, fucked it all up. I really do. <laughs> I think that they shunned entrepreneurs. I think that they ruined the size of the rooms. Therefore, mm. a lot of the people who would... There was one point where a lot of big names were coming onto Clubhouse. And mm. of course, they were bringing a lot of followers into Clubhouse. That's right. And surely Clubhouse would have wanted to continue to encourage people with good followings, bringing people to the app. And also people who invested a lot of time. I spent mm. hours a day on that app. Instead, they did the opposite and they were just reduce, 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 reduce the size of the rooms so mm. that it didn't make it a time viable way for people to communicate. Because, you know, a lot of people who are successful can't justify spending two hours talking to 30 or 40 people, but they could justify spending two hours speaking to 300 or 3,000 mm. people. Absolutely. And they really pushed entrepreneurs marketers and, and anyone to do with business, they ostracized them. Um, and I don't mind being public about that. I'd say that to their face because they were onto a good thing. They could have really disrupted social media. But now no one's really using these audio apps anymore. You know, yeah, there's Twitter spaces, but that isn't quite as big as it was. And mm. I, I think even Facebook, Instagram there now their audio features, they're closing them down. Mm -hmm. It's a shame. It's a shame. It is a shame. I remember, uh, I think, wasn't it like Clubhouse got valued at like three billion in the heyday or something? And then it just completely died or something. Like people just didn't want in. Yeah, I mean, I'm worth a hundred zillion because that's what I value <laughs> myself at. <laughs> three billion. <laughs> what the fuck? Come on. I mean, I actually, valuations. <laughs> But I, I do understand there was an offer on the table from Facebook. And I do yeah. understand it started with a B and ended in Ilium. So maybe not three billion, but they might have closed at one or two. I don't know. And but they should have they should have bitten their hands off. They should have oh, done. No. Greedy bastards. Greedy bastards. Anyway, listen, great to have you on the show. Anyway. Really, really, really um, great to hang out with you for a little bit and stuff. And I know you're extremely busy, but I'm super, super happy that we get to hang out for a bit and things like that. So um, listen, um, I want to get some context. We've got listeners in over 58 countries around the world. And 
I just kind of like giving people a bit of a snapshot about like where you're at and stuff like that. But you got into property investing like quite young with your business partner. I just, I was fascinated to learn about how, where that kind of idea stemmed from. Was it you? Was it your business partner? And how did that come and come into fruition? Yeah. 2006 was my fledgling year in property investing. And I bought, stroke sold, some kept, some flipped on around about 20 properties in that first year. And they were pretty much all financed by my business partner, Mark. And I met him at a property network local meeting in Peterborough uh, in December, late December, like the last couple of days before the world shuts down in 2005. Mm -hmm. So within two months of meeting him, we struck a bit of a, a relationship. We had a few things in common. We were both similar age. We both wanted to be entrepreneurs. He was a bit further down the line than me. He'd made some money. I didn't know this about him at the time, but you know, he'd made some money. He'd, he owned some property. He'd done well. And I was right at the start. And maybe he didn't know that either. Mm -hmm. um, but in our city, our city is, it calls itself a city, but really it's just a big town. And so in our big town, in our village, there's not many entrepreneurs in the village. So when you meet other entrepreneurs in the village, you kind of tend to get on quite well. So it was a bit of a, a rarity that I met someone um, who was also interested in unconventional things called mm. property business and entrepreneurship. Mm. So, yeah, that's how it started in now fast forward 17 plus years. Mm. We own 300 and actually Mark said it was 370. I've been telling people it was between 340 and 360, but update, <laughs> I think it's about 370 rental property units we own. Wow. It's over 1,350 tenants we have in our managed portfolio. We mm. have the UK's largest property training company. It's done 6.1 million in sales in the last 90 days. Um, I've actually written or co-written 18 books, Adam. Uh, nine of them I know to have been bestsellers, you know, in mainstream categories, not just in the three left toes category mm. like some people's bestsellers are. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I think things are different now, thanks to property. I'm really glad I got in when I did because... For about seven years, between mm. 18 and 25, I really wanted to start my own business. I was even going around telling people that I was going to, but it <laughs> took me seven years to actually take the plunge. Interesting. Interesting. I guess we, I, it's the same with anything, right? We evolve, don't we, as, as people? We evolve as entrepreneurs, and you kind of have that train of thought, and then suddenly it just shifts for you, right? Yeah, well, so, right. You've got a very small percentage of people mm. who are intrinsically motivated to be entrepreneurs yep. because they love entrepreneurship and business or they love making money or there's a passion that they've turned into their profession and, and it, it seems to be somewhat intrinsic in them and they started relatively quickly. And mm. that would be a very small percentage, just like how many people who walk into a dojo end up with a black belt. It'd be a very small percentage. Yeah. Then you've got some people who fall into it by chance 
-hmm. And life, like you said, there's evolution and we evolve and then one day we just do it. Yep. But most people who want to do it haven't done it yet. Yep. Don't have the courage, don't have the motivation, aren't yet uncomfortable enough, wish they'd have done it 10 or 15 or 20 years ago and are still telling themselves stories and making excuses as to why they can't. And it's those people I love to get in their face and shake them up because I was there for seven years and I know what it feels like. But there's, you know, there's always a reason to delay it until tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes. Yep. Agreed on that. Some good stuff. All right. Well, listen, um, I want to get into, um, I, I wanted to kind of ask you actually, because it's interesting because my background is when I first grew up, actually, I, I grew up on a council flat and I also had these, always wanted to um, own my own property, Rob, right? I'm sure this is probably the same for quite a few of our listeners. But when it comes to property, there's there must there's there must be quite a few misconceptions that people make when it comes to investing in real estate and property. Um, what are they and how can they be avoided? So it completely depends on where you are in the world. Mm. And then it depends on where you are in the country. So mm. what I'll start with is some general good places to start, mm -hmm. but you need to research your own area. Yep. Because some Makes things sense. are universal, like money mm -hmm. and currency. But yep. real estate is a very local business. Now, the upside yep. of it being a very local business is if you get to know your locality very well, then you can dominate. People always ask me, Rob, Rob why Peterborough? Why Peterborough? <laughs> because it's my local city and I know it. There's, there's three big investors in our city, myself and my mm -hmm. business partner and two other people who I won't be mentioning their names and giving them free publicity. Um, but we know Peterborough better than anybody else on the planet. Now, you could learn your local area better than anybody else on the planet mm -hmm. within the next two to five years. But you mm -hmm. couldn't work out the planet in the next two to 5,000 years. True. So rule number one, on property is learn your local market because mm -hmm. it is very different everywhere else. Planning rules are different. Types of property you would invest in is different. Regeneration and, and where it's at in the regeneration plan and whether you've got listed buildings or not. All different. Population density. All different. So you learn your local area. Mm. The next thing is you buy existing rather than new property where you can. Mm -hmm. So um, I decided to get myself a little present, Adam, and it's uh, an Aston Martin DBS. Um, I always said I'd wait till I'm at least 50 before I owned an Aston Martin, <laughs> and I'm 44, but I'm, I'm having this sort of C-list celebrity boxing match, and I've got a 100 grand bet on it. And I, I saw that. Yeah. I decided that um, I wanted to reward myself and I'm building up a bit of a collection. This will be my seventh car, the eighth one that we're getting in the winter. My business partner and I, we pull some of them together. And this Aston Martin I'm buying, this DBS, I'll probably pay between 135 and 145 for one. Four years ago, they were 300 grand. I test drove one that was 303 grand with spec. 
So am I wise to buy the 303 Grand Aston Martin or the 145 Grand Aston Martin? It's the same car. It's just done a few thousand more miles. It's just a couple of years old. Sure. Property is the same. A lot of people think, oh, property is an investment. It will go up. No, it usually goes down before mm -hmm. it goes up. So you want to buy it at the bottom of the depreciation curve. Um, so that's the second thing. You want to buy used, not new, if mm. possible. The next like thing it. is you want to remember the two um, rules of buying property. You either buy below value mm. or you add value. So buying below value is maybe buying it 25, 30 years old. Or you have a motivated or a distressed seller who sells it to you cheaper in exchange for speed or ease or discretion or whatever. There's, there's a trade-off, yeah. Or you buy at auction or you buy in bulk. Mm -hmm. So that's buying below value. Now, this depends on the market. If the market is going down, it's much easier to buy below value. If the market is going up, it's harder. Mm -hmm. or, you, or you add value. So, for example, I bought uh, a um, essentially a... A shopping is a small shopping center, really. A large department store mm -hmm. with three or four stories vacant above. Mm -hmm. And I got a new tenant in. It was Marks and Spencer's, and we got um, BM home stores in. And I sold that off for roughly what I paid. So I got the four stories free. And then we developed that into 99 apartments. So we changed the use from commercial to residential. And we added the value by developing the apartments above. Got it. So that's an example. Um, and then the next thing is never sell. Buy, hold, die. Because if you give property long enough, it will go up in value regardless of what, what mistakes you make. It. So, mm. you know, people always say to me, oh, Rob, you know, it's a bit of a risk to start now because of all their excuses. You know, I've got... <laughs> Two cars, four kids, three dogs, a mortgage. Um, I would say the bigger risk is not starting in property. Mm. I can actually see, though, why people wouldn't invest in property now, potentially, because of inflation and interest rates and all the other bullshit excuses that you can think of. Um, you know, there, there is some sort of legitimate argument, I guess, I can understand that and market conditions. And as you mentioned, all the different stuff like location and stuff like that. So I get it. hundred percent get it. But you've given us a good basis for kind of, uh, you know, in terms of like, if we was to get into property or real estate, you know, what, what we need to do and how to go about doing it. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's good stuff there. Um, interestingly enough, because I know that you have, obviously achieved a significant amount of financial freedom, if you like, because you talk about it a lot on your podcast and, and that kind of stuff. What would you say from your perspective were the some most important lessons from being broke, which you were at, you know, before 25 to where you are right now, what has money taught you and in terms of it and manage it more effectively? Money, wealth, or riches, those three are different, mm -hmm. are the outcome, the result of value exchange. Mm -hmm. So if you deem 
Adam. What I yeah. do, what I sell, what I make, what I build, mm -hmm. if you deem that to be valuable enough, you will pay for it. Mm -hmm. And you will pay an amount that you deem to be fair. You won't mm -hmm. want to pay any more, and you'll be okay with not paying any less. I actually created the formula for wealth in my book, Money, which is wealth equals perceived value plus fair exchange mm -hmm. times leverage. Right. So perceived value is you want to buy something off me, let's call it a real estate course. Mm -hmm. I, might, I might want to charge you $2,000 for that. You might think, well, yeah, I think that's worth it. Why? Because I can make more than I invest because Rob's been doing it for 17 years because he's written a load of books, because um, I might get access to a bit of follow-up support and mentorship, blah, blah, blah. And you would feel it fair to pay $2,000. So yeah. perceived value is you believe the course is worth $2,000. I believe it's worth $2,000 because I'm trying to sell it to you for that. And you're prepared to pay it. So the fair exchange, so, so I perceive it's worth $2,000 because I think that's what I can get from the market. You perceive it's worth $2,000 because that's the, um, the amount that, that you would be prepared to pay. For the same course, you might not pay $10,000, but you might feel like you've got it at a bargain if you paid $500. So mm -hmm. that's the value bit. Fair exchange is where you get value, i.e. you do the course and you're like, yeah, that was worth it. I can mm -hmm. make more. I'm very grateful. But I need to make a profit because if I don't make a profit, I'll resent you. And if you don't get value, you'll resent me. And that's unfair exchange. <laughs> True. So, you know, Harry asked me earlier, he said, Rob, you, you know, what should be higher on the pedestal? You know, what should we focus on more, money mm. or value? The answer is value because there is no money without value. Money True. is a consequence of value. Now, the perceived bit is that, Adam, you might pay. 20,000 pounds or dollars for a cruise. Mm. I wouldn't because I hate holidays. <laughs> but I would pay $2,000 for this shirt. I did. Um, and I would pay $50,000 for this watch. I did. And you might mm. think, well, that's a ripoff, i.e. that's unfair exchange in favor of whoever made the shirt or the watch. But I might go, well, that's unfair exchange to the cruise company because I don't, I don't need to pay $20,000 <laughs> to sit on a boat when I hate the water anyway. <laughs> so if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to make money, you've got to work out what can I do that's valuable and what will people pay for? True. And then I've got to find that sweet spot where I can charge handsomely and make fair profit, but you can be grateful for the amount that you pay that you think is worth it. Mm. And then the last part leverage is at, is at scale. It's all very well me selling one course at $2,000, but actually, we have tens of thousands of people a year who pay that sort of money for our courses. That's why we've done 6.1 million in sales in the last 90 days. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the biggest overall lesson on money. Um, mm -hmm. One thing I'll add before we, I hand back to you is sure. anyone can do it if, one, you define it, two, you get accountable to it, and three, you persist at it. Mm. You cannot be successful at that which you do not define. You, not, you cannot make money from the goal which is not set. So step one is you need to know what it is. 
Is it a target amount of money? Is it a business model? Is it an idea? Is it a passion into profession? Is it content into cash flow? You must define it. Then when it's clearly defined, then you must create accountability, i.e., are you actually going to do it? So, for example, I had a 100 grand bet on a fight I'm doing on July the 1st. I've never had a fight before. I got called out on a podcast. I fancied my chances. I thought I could raise a lot of money for charity. I thought it'd be fun, although it's not been that much fun, the intensity of the training. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, I've lost nearly 10 kilos. I'm almost as fit as I've ever been in my life at 44. And I would not have lost that weight and developed those skills and got that level of fitness if there was not 1,700 people that were going to come and watch me fight someone 25 kilos heavier than me in four weeks' time. That is called accountability. Absolutely. And too many people are too comfortable. They don't have accountability. Oh, well, you know, I've got a good job and a nice car and it's too much. You need accountability. So you've got a goal, some accountability, and then you just need to keep going. Yep. The ups and downs, the highs and lows, the ebbs and flows, you keep on keeping on. And that, that three-step formula, that is success um, bottled for free yeah. by me. Fantastic. Love it. By the way, I um, it's, so hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Let's go, I want to backtrack here because you're talking the fight here because I've been listening to your podcast, of course, and listening about the podcast uh, about the fight. But just context here. Someone challenged you to an actual physical fight. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yes. Boxing. Boxing, boxing in the boxing ring in London, I'm assuming. Uh, just outside Brentwood, Essex. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and what's your chances, Rob? Come on. Let's be realistic. 99.9 recurring percent. <laughs> I love it. I've already, love won, it. The love fight. It. I've already <laughs> won the fight. You already won I've the fight. Training. Mentally. Mentally, I'm training mentally. like a professional. I know my game plan. I know I can manage my emotions. I've done speeches in front of thousands of people. I've got the world record for the longest public speech, so the public part of it is not going to affect me. He's, you, you know, he's a lot bigger than me, so you know he's, he thinks he's got the knockout chance. He's going for the knockout, but it, like I'll be more technical, more accurate, mm-hmm. leaner, fitter, faster. 99.9 recurring percent chance of winning the odds betting on me are not going to be good you're not going to get you're going to have to put a million pound down to get a pound back that's the odds <laughs> love it love it love it love it love it. it's fantastic i might have did you say july the first yeah july the first damn it i'm actually racing on that day i've got a whole day event I'm doing like a six hour adventure race on the day i was i would have actually come down and actually supported you Anyway, all good. For you guys that are interested in boxing, either for Rob to get knocked out or for Rob to do a knockout, okay, please DM us or drop us a message. But I'm sure I know if you're a big boxing fan, I, I, you know, I'm just saying that it's going to be an absolute fantastic uh, experience. And it's for charity, right, Rob? Yeah, my goal is to raise 100000 of Samuel's money. And that's my that's my winning bet. And then um, I may match that, and then the event proceeds. So it's going to be. I would have thought minimum one hundred and thirty thousand. It could be even more. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Some good stuff. Good stuff. Um, now, interestingly enough, money mindset. You talk about money mindset like the, like cows can come home. Now, for those guys that um, and you know, money mindset very important for financial success. We get it. 
But for those that struggle with money mindset, what would you say from your perspective, how can we start to develop a more positive to relationship towards money? Where, where, where do you kind of get people to start from? Any thoughts there, Bob? Yeah, well, first off, you've got to look at what your baseline belief around money is. Mm. So some people believe that money is the root of all evil. Some people believe that the love of money is the root of all evil. Some people are scared of being wealthy and all the attention it might attract. Some people are concerned and worried that they may lose their friends. Mm. Some people have sold themselves short that they actually don't want to have a lot of money, but actually they've just made some weaker, easier, more short-term choices. You've got to look at how you were raised and was money abundant and plentiful or was it hard to come by? And how did your parents make money? And what are the things they said to you about money? And uh, you probably weren't taught much about how money really works in school. And do you know what money is? And do you know the laws of money and the nature of money? So you've got to really find your benchmark of where you're at. And mm. we're all different. But generally speaking, um, people who don't have a good relationship with money is because they have... Um, disempowering, negative or one-sided beliefs around money. True. So, for example, you know, many people um, connected to religion extra extrapolate out, isolate this quote of the love of money is the root of all evil. But that's not accurate. It's out of context, for, for one. It's not mm -hmm. accurate. Um, the root of all evil is evil people doing evil things. Mm -hmm. But money isn't evil because money is a tool. Money mm -hmm. is emotionless, spiritless, consciousless. It's just a tool, like a hammer is emotionless, spiritless, and consciousless. Mm -hmm. But a human could take a hammer and embed a nail into a piece of wood pretty well, better than trying to do it with your hand, and yank a nail out if it's in the wrong place or you need to dismantle something better than your fingernails. But you can also take a hammer and smash someone's skull in. But if someone took a hammer and smashed someone's skull in, the hammer wouldn't be tried for murder. The mm -hmm. hammer is the tool. Mm -hmm. The murder was committed by the person. And so most things that people believe about money is not the law, function or nature of money. It's the law, function, and nature of humanity. Money is an effective tool at universally quantifying value, at storing value, at exchanging value, at increasing speed of exchange and store and perception of value, a measure of worth, a unit of account, a way to um, keep score or credit that's what money is. And you could use that tool to become a multimillionaire or you could be a slave to that tool depending on your beliefs. So do you believe money is, money is abundant and limitless or scarce and hard to come by? Do you believe you will do good things if you had money or do you believe money would be a curse? Do you believe that you could help a lot of people with money or do you worry that people might judge you if you have money? Mm. Here's the funny thing about having money is people will judge you if you're rich but they'll also judge you if you're broke 
I give maybe millions, but certainly many high hundreds of thousands to charity. Mm -hmm. And people still criticize me for doing that. I've very often raised money and they've said, I shouldn't have raised it. I should have just given it out of my own money. Well, what fucking mm -hmm. difference does it make? Absolutely. And many people are saying, I should not be doing this boxing. I should be raising this money some other way. Well, Samuel Lee's my opponent's not just going to give me a hundred grand. He's not just, oh yeah, Rob, I'll tell you what, let's not box. Let's not have a winner or a loser. I'll just give you the money. He's not going to give me the money. I've got to knock it out of him. That's the whole point of a charity <laughs> boxing match. Without boxing, there is no charity in a charity boxing match. <laughs> no matter who you are or how rich you are, you know, you drive a shit car, you're a wanker. You drive a Lamborghini, you're a wanker. So I'd rather be a rich wanker than a broke wanker, personally. <laughs> I agree with that. Absolutely, 100% agree with that. Definitely, 100% agree with that. Um, I want to now. You've done like you've you've said to us the amount of properties that you've done. You you know you've got a, a few a few thousand, a few thousand, or is it thirteen hundred properties? Uh, it's a few hundred that we own, and a thirteen hundred and fifty that we own and manage in our because we have a a property management company as well. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about um, a deal or a situation which really stuck out in your mind, Rob, and you thought, fuck, I don't want to relive that experience. And it went terribly wrong. It went tips up for whatever reason. How does that – because, I mean, you, you come across really confident. You know, you've been through the adversities. You know, you're straight talking up front and all that. But obviously, being human – it must affect you emotionally mentally when things go absolutely tits up. How do you deal with that? In my 17-year business career, I, I wouldn't say there's anything that we did that I regret because in every stressing hides a blessing and in every situation that was really challenging, we grew the most. Mm -hmm. However, lockdown for me was the one thing that stands out that shouldn't have happened, that was wrong to happen, that was unfair to happen, and was the single biggest threat to our business. However, Adam, I, 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 I can't even say I want to go back and it change. Because mm. I remember my business partner about five years ago saying privately, actually. Yeah. Said, do you know what the biggest threat to our business is? And mm. some people around were like, oh, you know, Google or Facebook shutting you down or reputational issue or a legal case, a lawsuit, cancelling on, you know, and everyone was listing. And he said, no, no, the government. And he was mm. spot on because the government can force your taxes so high without your permission that you can't make any money. Or they can shut you down in a lockdown and you've got a close-up shop and you haven't got a business anymore. Yep. And that was a bloody good lesson. It was brutal. I had 105 staff in the office at the time. I had to let a load of them go. It was a horrible experience. We got through it. But, man, that was – that. the hardest thing is also the best lesson. Mm. But the, the evidence is there now that – it was wrong yeah. on a financial level, on a health level. 
And um, but it's done, and all we can do is get the lessons. In every yep. stressing, hide the blessing. I agree. You know, it's interesting because I mean, you've had a lot of. Um, well, some people would call them controversial characters, individuals, whatever it might be. I mean, you must have got so much backlash from people and stuff like that. And, you know, some haters and trolls and fucking people just literally just attacking your reputation. I mean, I mean, it's in a way it's kind of entertaining, but in another way, it's kind of annoying. What's your thoughts on that? Um. With all due respect to everyone, fuck everyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is, I can't take credit for that. Uh, Conor McGregor funny. said that. Um, I've just watched his new Netflix documentary because I've got my fight in four weeks. He's got a great mentality. Love and um, look, everyone's got an opinion. But Oops. opinion is probably the lowest form of relevant information. Like, if I want to really learn something, I'm going to get the least out of an opinion. I'm mm. going to get more out of information, even more out of experience, and then even more out of facts. Mm. So people are always going to say something about you. They're always going to have an opinion about your guest or the way you dress or the way you speak or your controversial views on mm. ABC. Well, look. Everyone else's opinion is none of my business. It's the lowest form of valuable information. They're going to judge me anyway, so I might as well just be myself. And look, if YouTube shut me down for interviewing David Icke, I either interview more people like David Icke on Rumble or I don't interview people like David Icke. I mean, I've got a choice, haven't I? You know, if they want to shut me down for my rants, I either go and rant somewhere else or I change what I rant about. <laughs> true. So true. <laughs> Love it. Listen, I know that I'm conscious of time and, and, and things like that, but listen, this has been a really, you know, even though it's been brief, it's been an amazing uh, conversation just to hang out a little bit, get to know you a little bit more and see you in person, of course, whether it be on here on video or, or whatever it might be. But listen, it's been it's just been a, a real privilege to have you here on the show and, and hope that you guys that have been listening in, I hope you've also been listening in attentively. If you have any questions, feel free to use that in the thread below. Uh, Rob, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show today, um, first of all. And, um, oh, by the way, I was going to say to you, apart from your big fight that's coming up on July the 1st, what else are you working on these days? Well, I'm not working on much at the moment, personally, because I'm committing to this fight in Brilliant. less than yeah. five weeks. Yeah. Um, however, uh, I will be reopening writing my new book, Money Matrix, once this fight is done. Nice. Um, and I still daily create content across all social media. So you can see my name there, Rob Moore. You, you know, we do two podcasts a week on Disruptors, one to two a week on money. We've got the YouTube shows that so you can get it on audio and video. Um, and I'm pretty accessible on virtually all social media. Um, but once I finish this fight, I'm going to have, you know, 130,000, maybe double that um, to manage through my foundation. So I'm going to do more of my charity work. 
and I've got these books that I want to get finished because I'm actually, I'm writing one book, but I know the next three that I'm writing. So I need to get my head down and get those, those done, those written. That, that, they're my next projects. I mean, look, my company's Progressive Property, Progressive Success. You know, we've got over 100 staff and they'll carry on doing their thing. If anyone wants to start a business or get into property, you can Google those. Absolutely. Yep, I'm really good to uh, really be good to have you on the show. Listen, guys, hope you've enjoyed today's show. Uh, wherever you are in the world, by the way, uh, feel free to check out Rob's uh, check out Rob's membership, check out Rob's social media and any links. Feel free to reach out to him, or one of it, either him or his team, more likely his team will reach out to you in due course and respond with any questions. Rob, Rob, once again, just want to say thanks very much for being on the show today. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, everyone. Take care, everyone. See you soon. Have a great day. Cheers now.